This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Hello and welcome to Novels, Plays and School Days, our Leaving Cert and Junior Cert education series looking at the novels and plays that form part of the English Leaving Cert and Junior Cert syllabus. Today we are joined again by the students of Mount Temple and we are looking at the novel Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Jane Austen was born in Steventon, England in 1775, where she lived for the first 25 years of her life. Her father, George Austen, was the rector of the local parish and taught her largely at home. She began to write while in her teens and completed the original manuscript of Pride and Prejudice between 1796 and 1797. And then she went on to write a number of novels, including Sense and Sensibility, Mansfield Park, Emma, Northanger Abbey and Persuasion. At the time, it was kind of frowned upon for for women to be writing and she wrote anonymously. And that whole idea of the position of women in English society at the time is still very much a theme in her books throughout. So Pride and Prejudice, is this your standalone text that you're you're reading it as or is it part of? Comparative, yeah. It's it's part of comparative, Yeah, one of our three texts, yeah. Okay. And and what other things are you studying to compare Uh, it with? uh, Doll's House uh, by... Henrik Gibson and um, Juno by directed by Jason Reitman. Oh, OK. Juno the movie. Yeah. OK. Juno and Pride and Prejudice. OK, that's uh, <laughs> How's that to uh, compare and contrast? Uh, well, kind of the things we're focusing on is uh, role of women, role of money and then the quest of love. That's kind of the three things we're really focusing on when doing the comparisons. And people's values like yeah. in society and stuff. OK. All right. OK. Um, well, let's um, let's just look at Pride and Prejudice itself just to start with. And um, I'm going to go straight into a, a question from the higher level paper. And it's Pride and Prejudice is a novel so concerned with trivial romantic matters that it fails to engage with any substantial issues. So do you agree or disagree with that? Is it more or less just a romance novel and that's it? No, I, I would disagree with that completely. Um, the novel is a comedy of manners where it examines the way people behave in society and how it inter- how it impacts their interactions with each other. Um, the the romance aspects of the book, I in my opinion, are quite weak. And towards the end, um, where, for example, Elizabeth spoils, or marries Darcy, I'm not spoiling it by saying that, it's, it seems very rushed. Yes, they recognise each other's faults, but suddenly they just get married and that's completed in less than 10 pages. It's, you know, the romantic side of it. Is not really it's not convincing. You don't think? It's I think I don't think so. The the novel does fail to show a lot about lower societies, but it is really about the landed gentry. That's the main kind of setting of the of the novel. Um, I think the lowest member of society that you do see would be Mister Darcy's maid, and that would be about it. But it does show a lot about the inequalities that are in that kind of sect of society, with uh, things such as uh, the problems facing the second sons. Uh, as you can see with Colonel Fitzwilliam, who isn't able to attain any way the same kind of status as Mr. Darcy, even though they were born to the same level because he was a sec- he, he was second son, he didn't inherit anything, so he has to join the military and he can't marry who he wants to. So there is a, a bit shown about actual problems faced by that society, but maybe not as greatly in depth uh, as you'd like to be. Keen, what do you think in terms of do you agree or disagree with that statement? or that it's, um, I suppose that it's concerned with trivial romantic matters. Well, I wouldn't say that love is a central idea in it. Well, it's a, it's a theme, but it's not necessarily the focus. Yeah. 
supposedly. Okay, so let's look at the. So what are the other themes then of Pride and Prejudice? Um, I think you touched on it there, the whole idea of class consciousness and social hierarchy. So what does she say about that? And I think in some ways the characters are used to illustrate different criticisms the author's trying to make. For example, the character Mr. Collins, like... You know, especially when we were reading it in class, we found this guy to be like quite quite uh, entertaining. That his actions and the way he speaks to, for example, um, the letters he writes after it's discovered that Elidia eloped with Mr. Wickham, yeah. and he writes to Mr. Bennett, Elizabeth's father, and says, "You should never talk to her again." You know, and but you he, should forgive her, but, but never never talk to her again. But at the same, but at <laughs> the same, Christian, exactly. And at the same time, he he prides himself on being the local. Um, he holds his powers together. He's the rector. And he's meant to bring people together. And here he is telling families not to talk to their daughters and everything. Um, for a religious man who's supposed to be so morally superior in a way, he really is quite pompous and it's exaggerated to a comical extent. Having now a good house and a very sufficient income, Mr. Collins intended to marry. He meant to choose one of the daughters if he found them as handsome and as amiable as they were represented by common report. This was his plan of amends, of atonement for inheriting their father's estate. And he thought it an excellent one, full of eligibility and suitableness, and excessively generous and disinterested on his own part. Mr Collins' character is simply to create the complication of the plot. Um, if he didn't exist, there wouldn't be any situation for the resolve because then the daughters would just inherit the land. But since he's inheriting the land, that's what creates complication. That creates a need for them to get married off and find these partners. So I think that's kind of Mr. Collins' central purpose. But then also Sean said to show a lot about the kind of the views on religion and such and how people, it's all about image and, and things like that. So like he may try to show himself off as a holy man, but he is a fool, as you said. And it's a lot, it's, it's a lot in the, uh, in the novel. It's a lot about image and such like that. Like Mr. Darcy first, uh, when he first proposes to Elizabeth, uh, talks about how it would be a shame to be associated with their kind, essentially. And you can see in the Bennett household that they try their best to kind of maintain an image, even though they'd be the lowest of the landed gentry. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of that would be his main purpose in the novel. Yeah, and it, Collins is there probably to reveal something about Elizabeth's character because he, when he asks her to marry him, uh, she refuses. Because and obviously her friend then, what did we think of her friend's character, Charlotte? Because she accepts, but it's, that's more or less a marriage of convenience, isn't it? I, th- I think they're both, um, Charlotte Lucas and Mr. Collins are sort of parallels in a way because the way they are, the, the way they behave, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's incredible. Like by today's standards, we wouldn't imagine someone would ever marry this man. Um, he behaves so pompously and he behaves really sort of above everyone else. But he's he lacks self-awareness and in a way it's sort of demonstrating that, you know, he's he sort of personifies everything that is wrong with this society, but he's not necessarily malevolent about it. He he thinks he's being good. His intents are well, but when Charlotte marries him, it is a marriage of convenience and it's sort of just going in line with what society wants. It's expected that she will marry someone with a bit of status, a bit of influence and there's no one else for mm. her, so. Happiness in marriage is entirely a matter of chance. If dispositions of the party are ever so well known to each other or ever so similar beforehand, 
it does not advance their felicity in the least. They always continue to grow sufficiently, unlike afterwards to have their share of vexation. And it is better to know as little as possible of the defects of the person with whom you are to pass your life. A whole bunch of novels about like ignorance stuff like that. And people aren't aware of their own character flaws and such. Like when you're talking about uh, Charlotte's character, like what's the show? It kind of shows that her and even though it was a marriage convenience that her and Mr. Collins are quite similar in a way. Like when Elizabeth goes to visit the their household, both of them are showing off to her and both mm. of them are being really pompous of what they own. Even though neither of them like each other, they both kind of have that personality. And similarly, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, they both, uh, they're both idiots in their own right. And even though they both, uh, Mr. Bennett kind of disdains his wife, they both are quite similar in different ways. Um, and you can see it in other characters as well. Like Mr. Darcy isn't aware of his own pride. Elizabeth isn't aware of her own prejudice, um, such like that. And um, it's kind of that's kind of a huge part of the novel is people realizing their different characteristics, what's kind of wrong with them in, as individuals. And what about the character of Wickham when she meets him? Like, what do we think that's saying about Elizabeth's character when she meets Wickham? Because well, she clearly doesn't have a very good judgment of people. Like, when she initially decides that she doesn't like Darcy, it's pretty much like just because he decides, he kind of says he doesn't fancy her, like, because yeah. he won't dance with her, really. So that's just her being, like, um, hurt by that. And it just really, like, affects her view. And then that she's willing to believe anything just because she wants to believe it, like, because mm. she's already decided she doesn't like him then. And because Wickham is, I mean, he's the only person that's described in terms of how he looks in the novel, and he's described as being incredibly handsome. And so, in a way... Even though she says she takes people at different values, she takes him at face value because yeah. basically she fancies him <laughs> or she much. thinks he's handsome. So I suppose when the novel was originally written, it was called First Impressions. So can you see why that would have been the yeah. title for the novel? And that's kind of a theme that runs through it, isn't it? First Impressions and Prejudice as well. And one of the questions that comes up <coughs> in terms of Pride and Prejudice is like weaknesses and strengths of characters. So you kind of touched on it a little bit there, Sean. So say somebody like Darcy, what are his weaknesses and his strengths in character? His pride would be his, his weakness, his great weakness. He's just not willing to kind of uh, come down to someone's level. He wants to always be above the other person that he's with. Um, probably his strengths are kind of his resolve. Like he, he's very passionate about keeping his, his sister safe and his friends safe. Well, he's loyal. Mm. And that would be one of his strengths. Like he does... He, He's given reason to believe that Jane is being a bit frivolent with Mr. Bingley and therefore takes uh, takes her away from him. And it's kind of sh- and he thinks he's doing the best for her, even though it comes off horribly. He does think that he's doing the best and he's trying to be loyal to his friends and he's loyal to his sister around Mr. Wickham. So I think that would probably be one of his strength in character. And once he realizes what he's done to uh, Elizabeth, uh, he tries to make up for it and he sorts the situation out with Lydia. He comes to the home and he apologizes, he writes a letter, he does all these kind of things to make up for what he did and it kind of shows out the, his loyalty and it's kind of like once you're in his kind of circle of, his, his inner circle that he'll, he'll treat you well. Unfortunately an only son, for many years an only child, I was spoiled by my parents who though good themselves, my father particularly, all that was benevolent and amiable allowed, encouraged, almost thought me to be selfish and overbearing, to care for none beyond my own family circle, to think meanly of all of the rest of the world, 
Such I was from eight to eight and twenty, and such I might still have been but for you, dearest, loveliest Elizabeth. If you look at Elizabeth's character, I mean, she hates Darcy at the beginning, but she loves him at the end. So how, what, what things happen throughout the novel that make her fall in love with him? He shows kind of the kinder side of his character and such like that, like his, his kindness towards his sister and her fri- his friend and all that, and the reasons that he did what he did. She and when she finds yeah. out as well that like his maids and all his um, servants speak really highly of him because like, yeah. they'd be the people that would probably get like the brunt of the bad behaviour, like felt really highly of him. Like. And that visit to his um, house, Pemberton, is that what it's called? In Pemberley. The Pemberley. Um, that visit to his house is uh, pivotal as well, isn't it? And she kind of looks around it and goes, God, this isn't bad. I'd say she's a <laughs> bit swayed by, ooh, there's some nice gardens. Yeah, that's a big yeah. house. Yeah. I think that's another thing about the whole ending is that it's hard to tell whether it was based solely on his character that she yeah. changed her mind or I'd based say, on I think she's she a bit more shallow than she's written to and she's like made out to be. I'd mm. I think it's interesting. The longest piece of actual description would be of the Pemberley the Pemberley home. Yeah. That's the longest piece of description describing and the And that's kind of a motive, isn't it? I mean, it's not just a description. It is kind of, um, it's almost describing Darcy, isn't it? Yeah. Like that is this, well, you, maybe you can explain it. Like well, what? It kind of just emphasizes that kind of, we were talking about earlier about the attraction that it kind of influenced her attraction to Mr. Darcy and she sees his land, uh, <clears throat> she sees the land and all that and she sees um, his, her home and how she treats uh her his <laughs> servants and all that and how he they were talking about how the room's all divided and all that and he gives plenty of space for his sister and it kind of just shows a lot about his character and then it also shows his wealth off as well so it's kind of this huge description is kind of emphasizing a lot about how people focus on material things as well as you were saying how it reflects Darcy's character as mm. well so I think that's kind of the main reason it would be the longest description piece in the entire novel I think yeah Elizabeth was delighted. She had never seen a place where nature had done more or where natural beauty had been so little counteracted by an awkward taste. They were all of them warm in her admiration. And at that moment, she felt that to be mistress of Pemberley might be something. The letter that he writes to her explaining how Wickham essentially blackmailed him for money and it, t- it takes a lot for someone to admit to their own faults and I think it's a measure of his character that he actually took the time to, well, he, he perhaps he, you could argue he didn't say it in person to her, but he did, he did take the time to write this letter to her and say, look, I was wrong, this is what happened between me and Mr. Wickham, um, all, all this kind of thing, you know, it's it's an admission of his faults. And the yeah. letter is a big it, it is a big part point, of it. isn't it? I do it's think that Darcy is a good character, though, and he does have depth to him like that, where, like, he appears really, like, shallow and, like, just moody and, like, thinks he's above everyone, and then he appears to just be, like, kind of shy or something, and that he's actually really, like, good to people and respectful and stuff. But I don't see that with Elizabeth. I don't see that depth in her, like, there's not some big, like, character reveal with her. Like, she's kind of just, like, what you see is what you get, I think, of it. I think okay. Jane is kind of uh, not Jane Elizabeth is a big reflection of kind of love for everyone even in modern society just kind of like the way she viewed Mr. Darcy she had a bad impression first and then everything she did was she looked for some reason to hate him even more mm. and then with Mr. Wickham's case any reason to kind of like let him away with what he's doing like when he starts pursuing uh, Miss King I think her name is instead mm. of herself she's like oh well it's understandable he doesn't have the wealth and all that and, and Sarah will 
kind of good for him. Yeah. And she's kind of like looking for reasons, kind of like, oh, it's okay. But with Mr. Darcy, it's like, no, he shouldn't do this. He shouldn't do that. Uh, he's bad. He's this. He's that. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a reflection of modern society that people kind of like, they put people up on this pedestal and it's very hard to knock them down. And when someone's down, it's hard to get them back up again. And kind of, it's kind of that kind of back and forth between the two of them that it, it reflects a lot modern yeah. society and then a lot back then as well. Yeah, and it's her own prejudice, really, when when you look at it, isn't it? Because, I mean, as you said, she seems to be able to forgive Wickham, but for a long time she can't Darcy. So why is that? Because, you know, he's of a higher class than her and she thinks he's a bit of a snob. And she has this initial, like, as I said before, she has this initial first impression of him, like, he doesn't he doesn't fancy me. He doesn't want to dance yeah. at me, right? I've made up my mind about him and she goes around telling people how like rude he is and how pompous he is and then everybody else starts thinking that as well. So just because he hurt her feelings, she goes around trying to ruin his reputation then to a bit a bit like And it is Darcy a snob and and is he pompous in the He would be, yeah. Like um you, you can see how the way he interacts with people and even before he meet, he meets uh, Elizabeth, uh Jane kind of uh she has a small like spiel about how before he before he said a word everyone was like head over heels about him they're like oh it's this guy who makes 10 grand a year and he's coming in uh, with all of his friends uh, bringing them to the dance and they're all trying to like get near him but then when he starts talking to them then they realize they said like he became like one of the most hated men shortly after talking to them <laughs> yeah and the, when he proposes to her it's hardly the most romantic proposal now is no. it so what does he say in the proposal like he talks about how um it kind of pains him to admit that he loves her because she's of a lower class and she he doesn't like he wouldn't want to be associated with her or her family essentially in vain i have struggled with it it will not do my feelings will not be suppressed you must allow me to tell you ardently i admire you and love you elizabeth's astonishment was beyond expression she stared colored doubted and was silent. This he considered sufficient encouragement, and the avowal of all that he felt and had long felt for her immediately followed. He spoke well, but there were feelings besides those of the heart to be detailed, and he was not more eloquent on the subject of tenderness than of pride. His sense of her inferiority, of its being a degradation, of the family obstacles which judgment had always opposed to inclination, were dwelt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was wounding, but was very unlikely to recommend his suit. Elizabeth's strengths and weaknesses are sort of intertwined in a way, and I think a good example of this would be when she, we talked about when she meets Mr. Wickham. And it's fairly obvious she's very taken with him. He's described as being very handsome. Um, and in that respect, she's sort of, maybe not actively, but she's trying to, she will immediately set that precedent for herself wherein she tries to ignore any faults that this character will have. She does stand up for herself. That's one of, one of her strengths is that she she will stand up for what she believes in, even though it may come off as uh, counter to what everyone would expect. For, for example, when Mr. Collins proposes to her early on in the book and she she denies it you know mm. but what about her own mother because she's not very um, understanding of her own mother so so the character of Mrs. Bennet what about her character oh, I don't see how you could be understanding of Mrs. Bennet <laughs> there's nothing to understand she's just really stupid and idiotic like and she's just really shallow like even when Lydia like runs away with um 
What's name Wickham? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> she just like as soon as they get married, she doesn't care anymore, and everything's fine. And she's just talking about like, oh, what houses will they rent? Oh, this house is attics are too small, and all this like. And she doesn't consider the fact that they've now money, they've nowhere to live, that they nearly like brought shame on the entire family and like ruined the rest of her daughters for marriage, like. Yeah, and it says a lot about the that whole seed and the elopement. It says a lot about the role of women. So what do we think about uh, what Austin is saying about the role of women? That's a big theme in the novel, really, isn't it? They're kind of just pets. Like, they're not really in charge of anything or, like, they don't really have any say about anything, like, much like they're at they don't really have any say about like their own lives much or like what they want. It, it says a lot about the, the status of women and that they really are just viewed as something that men can attain to perhaps uh, forward their status and their reputation. In the, in the land of gentry anyway, because we don't see a lot about other classes, um, the role of men and women are quite simple. Women, their role is to get a man and a man is kind of just to be seen as someone that a woman can attain. You can see that it's only with uh, people like uh, Lady Catherine the Burke that once she became a widow, that was when she attained more status than mm. than a man would, that, the same as a man would. But aside from that, usually it's it's the woman would be lower than the man. Yeah, and that that character de, de Burg, I mean, um, what does she represent? I suppose that character, if you're talking about looking at themes of kind of the view of society, like the whole thing about image and such like that. She's talking about how she should act and why are um, all of them looking for a man at the same time? That usually the custom is that you wait till the oldest daughter is married off, then proceed down the line. But in the Bennett's case, all the daughters are. Uh, kind of open in a way and she kind of criticizes this as well as the fact that Elizabeth isn't like a master at a certain instrument or a certain craft she kind of knows a bit of everything yeah. which is what people nowadays are like she's more of a she's a more modern woman like she she's able to do a lot more things when there's be when they're expected just to like specialize in one or two things like be good at the piano or be good at singing when Elizabeth kind of has a mm. a few of everything and uh, Lady Catherine Bird thinks that's like that's against kind of societal rules and what do you think the the attraction of this novel is? I mean, think of the amount of movies. And recently there was a movie with zombies involved in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if anybody saw that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's ba- well, I've been meaning to, but it's based oh, off God. the original novel. There's right. like there's a few of them. They're all parodies of Jane Austen's work and other classical pieces. Oh, okay. Yeah, if, if anything, um, I haven't read the book, but I've, I've seen the film. And they use in, in it, like, I don't know if this is entirely relevant, but they, <laughs> they, they actually, some, like, it's it's quite good in a way because it tells the same story and it has the same, all, all the characters are the same, they behave the same, but in a way they almost use the zombies in this film as a way of magnifying the problem of class oh, okay, in England right. at the time. And because, like, they, they build a wall around this whole area in the south of England and it's sort of saying, you know, everyone is literally divided in a way. It's oh. oh, so there is some thought behind it. There, there, there is a lot of thought <laughs> I thought it was just it. a slasher movie. No? Um, <laughs> yeah, part of it. I think yeah. if you come back to Pride Prejudice, that's the original thing and you kind of see where everything stemmed from. So I think that's kind of the attraction. And then also in itself, it's kind of, it's an interesting take on the society back then when most pieces you see were from uh, male writers and they weren't even talking about their own society or talking about in the Middle Ages or beyond, um, yeah. it was there wasn't really a lot of focus on their actual society. It wasn't until the revolutionary periods with the Enlightenment that you saw texts that were actually reflecting on their own society. So even then, it was kind of early for its time where it was kind of making that kind of uh, self-reflection but hiding it in the form of a comedy uh, as not to attract too much negative yeah. attention, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Another part of the novel, I think, is important in regards to uh, text is that it's very dialogue-focused. And that's uh, that would have been something new, quite uh, new and bold at the time, if you will. It, a lot of the 
traits of the different characters are revealed through the words as opposed to full-on descriptions of what's going on and I think that allows for a wider interpretation of the text as a whole. So yeah, at ordinary level this will come up as well is the whole idea of the the literary devices that she uses as a writer so dialogue is one of them and letters are very important as well then in the in the novel as well. Yeah, Mr. Colin writes at least uh, two letters yeah. the first one announcing his, his intent to visit and the Bennets at the start of the novel and then the other one where he tells Mr. Bennett not to talk to Lydia again after what happened with Mr. Wickham. And I suppose if you're talking about letters or someone's diary, yeah. that's like the um, your inter- interior, like your um, an insight into your actual mind and your actual feelings. So if she was calling the novel First Impressions. It's kind of like um, the interaction and the dialogue between them is showing uh, kind of a superficial yeah. interpretation. But the device of the letters gives you an insight it's into them. Sorry, it's, yeah. it's kind of the way like uh, even nowadays you can see people are completely different people in person and then like you see online and stuff like that like people will type in pages and pages of arguments on Facebook something like that and they talk yeah. to you and they'll be the most politest person ever <laughs> uh, school controversy and all that <laughs> uh, but um, it's kind of like that kind of thing like um, Mr. Darcy you can see that he has difficulty explaining his feelings to her directly so he, he goes home he reads this writes this two page letter it, 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 you can sort of see it not only in the book but also in life today people sort of interpret the way you project yourself in different ways. So if you go out, if you say you're out with someone, right, and you, like Mr. Darcy, he has to write these lovely big letters to explain yeah. himself because he, you can either interpret his actions and behaviour as he's really shy or he's really snobbish and won't talk to anyone. Mm. He Today, he would be like that friend that you go out with, you go into town, you, you hang around for a bit, he says nothing, goes home, sends you like a, a five-paragraph text explain, <laughs> explaining why he was so upset, you know? Mm. And what about the, the looking at the comparative uh, texts and just even taking one of them, um, so Juno, Ooh. the movie. So if you in the comparative study, you're talking about cultural context, yeah. setting, um, also literary style and themes. And so, so anyone want to jump in with uh, some sort of comparisons or contrast with, with Juno? The easiest one to go for in terms of comparing these texts is the role of women and their status in society. So if we were to compare Juno to Pride and Prejudice, well, let's take the two main characters. So in Juno, you have this uh, teenage girl who's going through a pregnancy crisis and she's looking for adoptive parents. And the film sort of shows us all the different options that are available to her, how she's looked down upon by her peers and those around her. And at the same time, how other people do support her and they sort of give her advice. Compare that to Pride and Prejudice, where the women are so limited in what they can do. Society doesn't advise them. It doesn't provide them with options. Um, it's either get married or be gone. You know, you're, mm. you're cast away. In a way, it's sort of like they're completely different worlds. I mean, Juno is a very sort of liberal and very progressive thinking text. And Pride and Prejudice, if anything, is more just an analysis of what's wrong with society and how, in a way, it's sort of amusing. Hence, One thing that I don't think a lot of people who, well, most people, they do different texts, but for anyone studying Pride and Prejudice and Juno, it's interesting to note that one of the similar plot devices that towards the end of each respective text is that, for example, in Pride and Prejudice, there's Mr. Darcy's letter to Elizabeth, mm. and all of a sudden, everything turns around and we get the happy ending. S- the same thing happens in Juno. Um, Mark and Vanessa split up, but Juno leaves a letter, a note, if you will, for Vanessa saying, I'm, I'm in if you're still in. It's mm. it's always a method of communication. It's the, the letter is the main plot device. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's a good connection, yeah. actually. 
Okay, well listen, thanks again. We were in studio with the students from Mount Temple and we were looking at Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, which is on the Leaving Cert for 2016. That was Novels, Plays and School Days. Thank you. This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.